I really tried hard to build a reputation for myself that wasn't just being a gay person because obviously that already like threw me to the bottom of the I guess social ladder of sorts. Welcome to Setback Stories. I'm Chelsea, your host, here today to bring you on an adventure full of lessons and stories about me, my guests, and the times we've had to move backwards before moving forwards. So, whether you're exercising, commuting to work, or have some free time, we hope you enjoy the episode. Hi everyone! Before we get started, I wanted to provide a quick content warning. In the upcoming hour and a half, themes of homophobia and racism will be explored, which some listeners may find triggering. So please do what you have to do to take care of yourself. Hi everyone! Welcome back to Setback Stories. If you can't tell, I am not Chelsea. But if you've been an avid listener of Setback Stories, you'll know me as the co-producer of this podcast. And today, I'll be co-hosting along with Chelsea. Hello. Yes, I am super thrilled for today's conversation on marginalized identities and existence with a very special guest, Cal Campos. Without further ado, let's meet Cal. Hi, Cal. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here with a mix of excitement and I think nervousness, but the nervousness is just being mixed in with the excitement and I'm really happy to be here. So thank you for having me today. Of course. You're also chilling here with some bubble tea, which I saw on your Instagram. I really wanted to ask, what flavor did you get? I got I got mango green tea. Oh. Mm. I never yes. had that before. Really? I usually just stick to like the classics. I'll just get like a like a black milk tea. Oh cool. I'm gonna have to try that next. Yeah, I love mango. Um mango like flavored stuff is great. Yeah, highly recommend it. Okay, well, why don't we jump into today's topic? Um, But first, uh, let's tell the listeners a little bit about you, Cal. So, like, why don't you um, introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Cal. I use they, them pronouns, and I am a freelance photographer and videographer from Toronto. Um, Maddie and I met each other through, uh, like, a production opportunity. We're working on a short film together. and I'm working as the cinematographer there. And Maddie, do you want to talk about a bit about what you're doing with the short film? Um, yeah. So this is like the first, I guess, like real short film. I consider it like my first real production production experience. Um, and I'm working as a assistant director. I was originally just a PA, but then I got along really well with um, our director, Jay Val. And she was just like, I'm going to make you an assistant director now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> But yeah, so Cal and I met through that production opportunity. And then I just think you're really cool, Cal, and you're so well-spoken. I think you just have a lot of valuable things to say. So I was like, we were talking about podcasting a little bit. And I was like, I would love to have you on our podcast and just hear you talk, honestly, <laughs> about like Aww. your experiences. So that's kind of how we ended up here. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, yeah, I, I think being... I mean, we're gonna we're gonna get into it in this topic, right? But uh, I've been doing some like LGBTQ plus advocacy for a while now, and that was really inspired from a not so smooth kind of like upbringing, being like a marginalized person. Um, and so I'm, I'm I'm excited to get into that more and be able to speak uh, towards my own experiences and like how we're all able to like share our own experiences for others who might be in the same position or experience something similar. Cal, I've been binge watching your YouTube videos and like I definitely agree with Madison in that 
you're literally the coolest person ever and that you have so many valuable oh, things to say. And I'm so surprised that you don't have a podcast just yet. And I'm so grateful that we stole you first to be on our podcast. <laughs> so yes, thank you for being here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Y'all are so sweet to me. Thank you so much. Oh. <laughs> Cal, you are our guest of honor. So I'm going to ask you to go first. Um, you can really jump right in talking about like any of your experiences with um, like growing up as a marginalized person. For sure. Yeah. So I, I grew up in, in the greater Toronto area. Uh, I grew up in Vaughan and um, even like even deeper into that Woodbridge and Woodbridge is um, demographic wise is a town that is predominantly made out of uh, Italians and uh, the main religion there is Catholicism. And I, I guess it just in general has like conservative ideals and ideologies. And um, that's really important in setting the the tone and like, I guess, like the setting of where I grew up because I grew up as a closeted lesbian for the first 13 years of my life. And for a long time, I knew that I was gay I guess it, it starts from like senior kindergarten when I had a, a crush on a girl and um, I was like, oh, I just like really like this person. But, you know, I, I think at, at that kind of part of your life, you don't really know what crushes are. You don't really know what that means, like really like someone, but you can't really put words to it. Um, but I was like, OK, this is a thing. And then I remember going into elementary school and people started saying the slur that's so gay and I was like, "What? What is that? What? What's that? So gay? Why are we saying it? Why is it like this cool thing that we're saying it?" Um, and I, I don't really know exactly. Like, no one ever explained to me. To be gay means you like someone of the same gender. Um, but I like kind of like heard it through the grapevine, through like little bits and pieces here of this is what that means. Um, and I like you know just subconsciously I was like, "Oh, maybe that's who I am. Maybe that's an attribute that I take on as a person." And um, I mean, the, the fact that people were saying it so much, the fact that they were connecting it to things that were bad made me subconsciously think in my head, okay, that's a bad thing. I identify with that bad thing. I must be bad. And I think that's where this idea of um, being like a gay person started sprouting in my head of like, I shouldn't like this part of myself. I should just like keep this to myself and try to suppress it and try to like destroy it, I guess. Um and I, I was young too. That started maybe in the third or fourth grade when people started saying that. So, you know, I, I mean, I think at that age, at least for me, I didn't really fully grasp what was going on or I wasn't like self-aware about what was happening, but I just kind of, you know, it was just sitting in the back of my head. Um, not to mention that I grew up going to Catholic school too. And um, unfortunately in like traditional Catholic faith, it's not accepted uh, like LGBTQ folks aren't accepted, and especially back then. Like I think things have changed a little bit more around the discourse around that. But um, growing up for me, that wasn't something that was talked about. It was either like neutral or it was negative. So even though kids were saying homophobic slurs, teachers didn't say anything about it. They, it was just accepted. So I was like, okay, I also can't really go to a teacher if I feel kind of weird about this. Like that's not that's also not a safe like pathway for me. So I'm just not going to do that. Um, I'm just going to stop. I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to shut up. Um, so that, that, that was me like through grade four. And I do remember um, like I, I grew up in a Catholic family as well. Um, and we were like very, uh, very active in the like Catholic faith. And I also served, we went to uh, 
we went to church every Sunday. Um, you know, my my parents and my grandparents like read uh, during Sunday mass. Like it, it was it was a thing. We were very connected to the community, um, and I didn't really grow up close to my parents either. Just other than um, you know not feeling comfortable being able to come out to them. Uh, I just like always have had like kind of a weird relationship with them where um, not related to my identity. Just I didn't feel like I could. Uh, communicate honestly with them without things being blown out of proportion or them not properly being able to like empathize with with my side. So um, that kind of like fell into this whole idea of me, um, you know, considering should I come out to my parents because I like their parental support uh, and, you know, not really viewing that as a safe route either. But I remember it was, um, I think I was in like the seventh grade or so. And, uh, I, my mom was pregnant with my sister who is now 11 years old and I, I wanted to test the waters and I asked my mom like, Hey, w- you know, what if, you know, my sibling ends up being gay? Like w- what would that look like? And my mom was like, Nope, that's not happening. There are no gay people allowed in this house. Um, and I was like, wow. Okay. I am never coming out at all. And uh, it, it, it was, it, yeah, it was, it was such a strange experience because I think for the longest time in my head growing up, I was like kind of going back and forth around, um, you know, maybe I should come out to them. Okay, maybe not. Like just like getting a little bit of courage to come out to them, but then being like, okay, no, I can't do this thing. Um, And just like that internal debate back and forth, back and forth. Um, But uh, yeah, so so I kept that very close to, to my heart and very close to like, you know, just inside me for a long time, suppressing it. Um, alongside that, um, being an LGBTQ plus person and not even fully able, being able to grasp what that looked like or what that really meant in in the context of the entire world. Um, additional to that, as I said, I I grew up in a, in a school, like school systems, um, that were predominantly white, uh, and Italian, I would say that's like the, that was probably the, the main demographic there. Um, and Okay, the thing about this, and I, you know, I was when, when we were setting this up, I was telling uh, Maddie and Chelsea about this. Um, I've never really been able to sit down and really think and reflect about my experience being a person of color. I'm Filipino, and um, my I'm, I'm first generation Canadian. So my parents grew up in the Philippines, and they, then they um, immigrated here. Um, and you know, I mean, even just growing up, I'm realizing now, like they don't talk about immigration really. Um, at least for my, my experience was like, I never knew the actual setbacks of what my parents went through to come here and to, you know, create a life for me. So, I mean, I mean, now as an adult, I'm like empathizing so much with what they went through and and me not being able to understand that. Um, but even on top of that, like I didn't understand the implications of being a person of color growing up around white people and what that meant for, um, just like my own culture or identity or, um, like my understanding of beauty and where where I, I stand in everything. Um, I'm kind of going kind of all, all around right now, but I, I I went on testosterone about four years ago, and I was dating someone when I when I was uh, at the beginning of like starting testosterone, and um, you know when I was watching videos online about people transitioning and you know their kind of journey, I was watching predominantly white trans men or just like white transmasculine people, 
And um, the person I was with at the time was like, did you know that you're watching mainly white people? Like, do you want to be a white person? And I got really defensive. I was like, I don't want to be white. Like, that's weird. I'd like, I'm just watching these because, you know, I'm just watching this because this is, I just like watching this. It's not that weird. Um, and I was, I got really defensive. And looking back at it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should like probably apologize. Like that was, how, I was, I was really uh, defensive over that. But it, um, it, it really comes from growing up in a, uh, you know, in the community that I did, um, for context, when I went to high school, I was like one out of like maybe like seven or so like Asian people in the school. Like there were like really not many Asian or just like people of color um, in the school. And it was like, I don't know, it, it was when I look back at it now and I really reflect on it, there were lots of microaggressions. There were a lot of people saying like, I love, you know, like I, I don't I can't really pull them right now out, out of my head, but, you know, stuff around you know, talking about my Asian hair and they love it and they want to touch it. And like lots of people just like want to do that kind of stuff. But then on top of that, like, um, you know, I guess in general, just like stereotypes around, oh yeah, like this subject's easy for you because you're Asian, like stuff like that. And, you know, I guess in, in one sense, it's like, there's like this quote unquote, like smart stereotype that comes to to mind when when you're thinking about like stereotypes around the Asian community. But it was just like, I don't know, it was just like weird having these like labels that were just like placed on you and you're you're just like kind of like grew up experiencing them or tr- or being like, oh, haha, yeah, I am Asian. I'm smart at this thing. Like it, it was it was weird, like internalized racism just kind of like uh, starts growing in you and you don't even realize it. Um, something that I'm not very proud of is my relationship with food and my internalized racism and how I brought that into my own household growing up. And I feel really bad about this, but I remember in like elementary school and um, less so in high school, but in elementary school, when I had to bring food from home, um, I'd bring like traditional Filipino dishes or or something. And people would be very weird about it. Like, obviously it's not like a traditional, like, I guess a quote unquote white person food. It's not like pizza or, or something right and people would be like what's that like like they're like what's that and they're just kind of like peering over your shoulder and like you're like it's it's this or whatever um and then they're like okay and like I don't know it's just it's weird like I, I felt so weird like opening up my lunchbox and someone questioning me about it and like that was a thing that I definitely carried on as I was getting older um but I do remember at some point you know I, I asked my mom I'm like hey can you make me like sandwiches with like cheese and ham and like just like asking her to like please make me something that people won't question um and it 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 really sucked because i think at some point that my own internalized racism started leaking into my like my my parents and i could tell that whenever i did bring a friend home and like i didn't bring friends home a lot because i didn't really know what to feed them when i did bring a friend home my parents would apologize i'm sorry i don't know what to feed you to my friends and i don't know when i realized that like wow this is really messed up because like this is their house they should feel feel comfortable in their own house and i have brought racism into their own home and they have to apologize for their own identity and you know them just like being themselves and like enjoying their their, you know their food and their culture in their own house um i don't really know when i realized that because as you know like i didn't have a great relationship with my parents so i have you know, resentment I'm still working through to this day. But um, 
I just feel so awful about that. And I have spoken to them about it. Like I've, I've told them like, listen, like I, I definitely dealt with internalized racism. I've never dealt with um, someone like blatantly saying something about me being Asian, but it was definitely just like kind of like microaggressions and like, you know, I don't know, just like implications and such. Um, but I didn't even realize that I was dealing with racism and I brought that to you and I'm sorry. And I've, I've, I've tried to explain that to them. And I, I just feel so awful about it because, um, I, you know, you can't really come back from that. Like they're, they're like, yeah, no, we, we forgive you. We understand. But, um, I don't know. I, I wish I, I, w- I didn't bring that into their own home. And I, you know, I, I really want to like work through that with them to, to try to make that better, but that's way past the point. But anyway, yeah. So I think getting ready for this podcast has given me a lot of things to think about around being like a person of color and, um, yeah, just, I don't know, just being someone who dealt with more of like subtle, quote unquote, subtle racism instead of blatant, like someone shouting a slur at you. It, it It's it's kind of almost like difficult to be like, oh, I didn't realize this has changed the way that I perceive myself and, and act because of all of this. Um but yeah, I without getting into like even 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 deeper that I think that's like that's a good overview and I feel I feel comfortable around uh sharing that. So that's generally where where my setback is, just like systemic racism and systemic homophobia. Um oh my gosh, you know what? I I want to tack on one one more thing because this was important. I I really want to talk about like being a person of color. Um this is an important thing. When I went into uh not university, sorry. High school. Um, I went to a high school where I maybe knew like two or three people. Um, and I had to s- kind of start from scratch making friends. And so um, I'm a very social person. I really like talking to people. I, I love like getting involved in school and stuff. And um, I ended up uh, running for like student government. And I, I, did do, I did do student government for all four years I was there. Um, and from, from like my first like kind of grade nine rep, rep speech, um, I was able to garner like a lot of like friends from that. And I was really excited about, you know, just meeting people, blah, 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 like, uh, and, and getting involved. Um, and what ended up happening was because I like, I guess I just made a lot of friends. I also started hanging out with like the quote, like quote unquote, like popular kids. Um, and like my school was very much like a hierarchy. So there were like the popular people and then like the non-popular people and whatever. And like all the, all the cliques and like all those things. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I started hanging out with the popular people, but kind of, you know, I would just like kind of move around overall. But, um, one of my good friends at the time was one of the most popular girls at school. And I am ended up having a crush on her. Um, and I don't really know how it all ended up playing out, but she was at a party and um, essentially someone outed me. Uh, I was really close with my graduating class from elementary school and I ended up coming out to them and they were really great about it. But by the time that we all went our separate ways and went to high school, um, I guess, you know, being cool or having cool secrets over like people was more important than friendship. Um, and I was outed to this popular girl. Um, and I remember her like, texting me about and being like hey is this true and I'm like okay well I'm not gonna you know lie to her like try to you know like I I I came out already so that's you know that's that's a thing um and I said yes and essentially what happened was I, I went to school the next day and because she was so popular she had um like a sister who was like also older than us like uh, I think she was in like 
the 11th or 12th grade. And like that, that me being a lesbian just like kind of like spread amongst the entire school and the other two schools um, in our area. And uh, I remember like, Oh my gosh. Like I, I remember the Monday that I, I think it was, it was a, like, or it happened over the weekend. I remember the Monday um, after that. And my one friend that I did know going into high school together, like she came up to me and she's like, did you hear what happened? I'm like, what, what do you mean? And she's like, everyone knows. I'm like, what does, what, what do you mean? Everyone knows. And I kind of like turn around and to the to the high school hallway and there's all these people at their lockers and like kind of walking by and they're just like staring at me and i'm like what is this like and and i just remember i was like i i i remember just like walking i just like bolted and i think i i like i like i went outside because i just like couldn't wrap my head around what was going on but from from then on that was that was grade nine right so from then on i like pretty much lost i would say like 99 percent of the new friends that i had made people would shout like my dead name, the lesbian in the hallways. I definitely dealt with like a lot more like homophobia throughout my time in like high school. And I, yeah, in, in high school and I guess like throughout um, my childhood. And so I think that's, that's also why it, it almost makes me forget about being a person of color and like all the other, you know, like racism because it, the racism wasn't as blatant as homophobia for me growing up. Um, so yeah, I, I think that was particularly difficult and I mean, a lot of ways, obviously mental health, but on top of that, I, as someone who is like social and wants to, you know, build, I like building, you know, building communities and like building things that I'm, you know, bigger than with other people who are really inspired and interested as well. And I was like, how am I supposed to, you know, build this community when my, when my mental health sucks too? everyone hates me now, like because of this one part of my identity. Um, and how am I supposed to like, like come back from this? Cause all this just, I don't know the, it, it was just like beyond my grade nine mind of, of what, what this looked like for me. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, in, in some ways I, I think like in some ways it's like, it sucked. Um, I, I, I guess I don't have a lot of words for it. In other ways, it, I think it forced me to like almost try to come back from it. Um, I, I worked really, really hard to just kind of like not take any revenge. Like I, I, I definitely had like a lot of mental health issues prior to then even, even so, but, um, like, you know, sometimes I look back at it and I'm like, there were a lot of opportunities where I could have taken revenge on people and stuff. And, I don't know that. I mean, that's a different, you know, conversation completely, but I worked really hard to try to build community around me in, in, in ways that I could eventually by the time, like, tw- like the 12th grader or such people kind of got over it cause it was old news. Um, but like, I really tried hard to build a reputation for myself that wasn't just being a gay person because obviously that already like threw me to the bottom of the, I guess, social ladder of sorts. Um, I ended up uh, graduating as the valedictorian and the student body uh, president, which is really exciting. Um, But also in my head, I almost wonder like, did I do it because I I wanted to do it? Because like, yeah, I did really enjoy it. I I loved working hard 
you know, to get to, to places and like achievements and stuff, but like almost like, do I wonder if it's because I feel like I need to prove to myself that I'm worth something and I have to prove to others that I'm not just a, a gay person who everyone hates. Like, you know what I mean? So sometimes I, sometimes I do debate with myself around that. Um, but I, I guess I, I am really proud about how, you know, that setback kind of, I don't know. It, it, I have mixed feelings around it. How I, I was going to say how that setback kind of like pushed me to, you know, go after achievements that I wanted, but at the same time, it's just a lot of mixed feelings around, um, around it. It's, it's a very complex sort of situation for, for me when, when I do reflect on it. Um, but, uh, I guess this kind of wraps up when I went to university, I graduated and I went to university that wasn't related to a religion. Um, it was like every, a lot of ideologies that were kind of set in all the schools that I went to prior to university were set because of the religion and, um, set because of the ideologies that were just, uh, kind of talked about and whatnot. And, um, certain identities just like not being talked about, like in, like, for example, sex education, um, LGBTQ plus folks aren't even talked about, like they, they don't exist. Um, or it's kind of like avoided or at least that was, that was how my experience was. So, um, that lack of representation, I think really perpetuated the ideas that people had in their head already. Um, but as I was saying this, you know, that part of, I guess, chapter of my life kind of wraps up when I went to university and, um, there were people coming from around the world, uh, to campus and it was just like mind-blowing meeting other people in the lgbtq plus community from you know different countries have different backgrounds different religions um different walks of life it was it, it was mind-blowing to me because i i just didn't know that i know i it almost felt like i didn't know that that's how the world worked like it, it felt like um like the the town that I lived in was how the rest of the world looked like and spoke like and thought like. Um, I, I remember during one of the first times that I was, I guess, exposed to like diversity in any any sense. I was very confused that people didn't know our Father, which is like a which is a prayer in the Catholic faith. And I'm like, you don't you don't know what that is? And they're like, no. And I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> okay, that why? <laughs> um, so how do you? Yeah. <laughs> How do you not know what that is? Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that was really weird for me. But also, I guess it's like, it was nice to know that, you know, there was just like more to life than what was um, in the town that I, I grew up in because I never like, I didn't do anything outside of there. It was, you know, everything was inside there. Um, but that is the a proper overview of kind of that setback and uh, and what that was for me growing up. So yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> I it sounds like you've been through a lot and I I can't speak to, you know, homophobia. Um I can't speak to maybe internalized racism, but the fact that you were like struggling with more than one type of marginalized identity is like I I can't imagine what it must be like. Um and it just makes me all the more grateful to have this conversation today because I think uh, we could always use more discussion around intersectionality. So I want to thank you again, Cal. And yeah, right now I'm just, I don't even know where to begin on, on like as a follow-up question, like I'm just processing it all. And I'm just so amazed on how much you've grown and are going to grow. 
Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I, um, I don't know, it, it's, it's, it's difficult talking about these sorts of things in the sense that I never wanted to come off as my life sucked. And so everyone else's life is mm-hmm. not sucky. Like that is not, you know, mm-hmm. if like to, to both of you and to anyone listening here, um, I think it's a good thing to know that just because someone else is, is, is going through something or has experienced something doesn't mean that your hardships aren't as valid. They are hundred percent just as valid. Um, and the reason why I think it's so important to like share these sorts of stories is so that like other people know that either one, they're not alone or two Mm -hmm. to know that other people have different experiences, especially if you're someone in a place of privilege, understanding that your experience might not look like a person of color's experience or someone, you know, in, in just like any marginalized group. So I I also want to say that. Right. Right on. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same like headspace as Chelsea right now. I think I'm so grateful that you were willing to, because it's hard to share your past experience. It's hard to be vulnerable and tell your story. And there were a lot of points like when you were retelling your story where I was like, Oh, that's something that I relate to. That's something that I can, Mm. um, that I would like love to just like sit here and reflect on, but like more so than anything, it's just opening up conversation is so important. So yeah, I'm glad that we gave you the space to tell your story, but also that you were like willing of vul- like willing to be vulnerable enough to tell your story um, in this space. For sure, yeah. Thank you, thank you again for having me here. I definitely relate um, to a lot of things, or almost everything that you kind of touched on um, in your story, because I also grew up as a queer person of color um, in a predominantly white community. So I grew up in uh, also a suburb of Toronto, but it was a fairly um, fairly populated by people of color. So where I lived, I would say that I, I grew up there until and went to school there until the up until the third grade. So I would say from like my life up until third grade, like I didn't experience a lot of like microaggressions or like racism or anything like that, and then. In fourth grade, I moved to a predominantly white school. It was also it was a private all girls Anglican school um, in Toronto. So, and I stayed at that school until I graduated high school. So I was there for like almost a decade, like almost ten years. And so, for the first three years, and I guess I could like preface this by saying like the structure that I, when reflecting about my experiences, I kind of split my experiences up into three parts. So the first being my like up until the end of elementary school so my first three years at um this school and then middle school and then high school so in fourth to sixth grade um I commuted from the neighborhood I grew up in the suburb um to Toronto and to this fairly white community I just remember thinking at the time after maybe like a year or two at this school that if I look back on it I was acting differently based on whether I was at home or whether I was at school. And I was changing how I acted based on who I was around. And it was actually pointed out to me at one point, I think when I was around like nine or 10 years old, my uncle was dropping me off somewhere. Like I spent quite a lot of time with my cousins growing up. So my uncle one time, he was just talking to me in the car and he goes, he like refers to me as like turning white or like, (laughs) like kind of acting like a white girl. And 
it wasn't like he wasn't trying to be mean or like harsh. It was just something that he like pointed out to me. And I was like, oh, that's that's weird. <laughs> and I was like eight years old or nine years old. So it wasn't really something that I internalized and realized as just like a really odd thing to say until later on. So yeah, that was kind of my experience in elementary school. And then I'm going to skip to middle school. So I was a little bit older. I was, I think middle school I was around like 11 to 13 years old. And middle school, I would say I recognized, although it was the same school and it was with the same people, there was a lot more people. It was a much more bigger, like uh, the class size a lot was a lot bigger. And I was old enough to kind of start recognizing signs of like microaggression, microaggressions and, um, just things that made me feel not great about myself. And so middle school was kind of the peak of me trying to fit into the stereotype that I was given because I was very much like a wallflower growing up, I would say. So I was like every choice and every decision I made was just trying to fit into what was expected of me at school. So things like everything from like, body image, like how I did my hair, whether or not I had glasses, like, and I had braces and like all these things, all the way to like what extracurriculars I did and um, what I was involved in at school, all those decisions were made because I wanted to do something that would change how people perceived me or how the white people perceived me, I guess. So yeah, that was very much my experience in middle school. And I actually don't remember a lot of middle school, but like that's the one thing I kind of took away from those two years. And then in high school, I would say I started to shift my mindset because I was realizing that the past five years of trying to fit the stereotype wasn't working. Like nothing was changing, you know? I was trying to fit the stereotype to, I don't know, maybe with the end goal of like making more friends or like getting along with like the white girls at school and it wasn't working. So I was like, okay. Now I'm just going to do everything to defy the stereotype because if I can't fit into it, then I'm going to make it really clear that I am very much not the stereotype. Um, so that was also an unhealthy mindset looking back on it, but that's what I felt, what I did at the time. So again, like all the choices I made were to make sure that how it was perceived was a certain way by white people like none of my decisions were for myself um and this was something that I didn't even realize until like it's been about three years since high school now like maybe in the last year or two and then kind of shifting gears a little bit I also came out during high school so if I define like the timeline of me realizing my sexuality I would say it wasn't until middle school that just in general like kids at school started you know talking about boys and um started talking about dating and stuff like that and I didn't pay that much attention to it in middle school but I think at the start of high school the summer before grade nine I had you know gone on the internet <laughs> and um I started I think that was when I would start defining myself as like a fangirl <laughs> Um, and so I started consuming a lot of like queer media, uh, watching a lot of movies with like queer characters or non-canning queer characters. Cause there's a lot of straight movies out there with like, um, queer fandoms. But anyways, I think in grade nine is when I started questioning and it took me a year, about a year to kind of internalize it and be like, okay, 
I am not straight. And I didn't know, I felt pressure to like put a label on myself, but I didn't know what label to put on me. So the first label that I settled on was bi. So I kind of internalized myself, like I was like, okay, I'm bi. And part of the reason that I chose that label was because I knew that I was attracted to girls. But I was like, am I, I don't know any boys. Like having gone to an all-girls school, like I mentioned for since I was like eight years old, I was like, I like if I came out as a lesbian, then people would be like, Oh, but you don't even know boys, like how would you even know? Like you don't interact with boys, like what? So I was like, to avoid that, I was like, okay, I can just say that I'm bi. Because <laughs> that's just e- that was just easier at the time. Um, and so to me, it was the most important to come out at school just because I spent so much time there and to my friends and not so much to my family. I guess part of the reasoning is that like I, growing up, I never imagined like talking, like actively talking about um, or sharing my dating experiences or relationships or like romantic relationships with my family anyways. So it wasn't something that was really on the top of my mind. Um, And so I did come out in grade in mid grade 10. So I was about 15, I think, or I just turned 15 to my friends and also just um, like at school. And I don't know what I was expecting to happen. You know, you see, there's like so many movies about like, this teenager comes out at school, and then it's supposed to be this huge thing. And like, everything's supposed to change. And it was very much not that when I came out, I think the only kind of like notable differences that I, I perceived were I knew that some girls were talking about it like behind my back, but no one was like coming out to me or like calling me slurs or like there was no active differences in my life. So I was like, okay, well, like, like I'm just the same person, like nothing has changed. So yeah, I would say I, up to like this day, I haven't really experienced a lot of like homophobia just because I've had really supportive friends and like my support systems are so great and I think just the community in general I live in has been really supportive so I think the overarching like journey I've had of um, realizing and accepting my own identity and all that has been relatively smooth to a lot of like my queer friends have like that my queer friends have experienced Um, There are definitely microaggressions and stuff like that that I experienced growing up, but they were also under the radar, um, I guess is one way to put it. Yeah, I guess that's my whole story. (laughs) Like, I'm sure there are things, I was trying to not ramble that much. Um, There are like specific experiences that I can remember, but you know, being upset about someone saying something to me or stuff like that, but like, it was fine. (laughs) That's uh, like underwhelming I guess but yeah I think it was okay and it was more so internalized racism and homophobia that I had to deal with rather than external sources or like people that were oppressing me. Maddie I I I totally forgot when you were telling your your story there that when you came out you went to an all-girls school and I thought that was like really interesting um just because I I, again, I also didn't want to ramble, but um, I, I I danced, so I was like predominantly around like spaces where there were a lot of girls, um, and like I I'm so so thankful 
that you had a what what I understand to be a very like generally smooth experience coming out with that because I know that like there's you know there, there's a lot of like weird homophobia around like if someone comes out as you know a woman loving women um and you know the people around them who are also women start acting a little odd like oh don't hit on me like don't look at me like in a weird way and stuff like that. Like, um, I, I, I'm glad to hear that, that maybe, I don't know if that was part of the journey. I, from my understanding, it wasn't, but, um, I just thought that was, that was an interesting experience related to your queer identity that you went to an all, all girl school. Well, honestly, I think throughout high school, when I was out, I was so wrapped up in my own head that even if somebody was like acting weird around me, I wouldn't have even noticed it. <laughs> like I would have been so much more worried about what was going on in my own brain that it's it wasn't even something that I would like notice. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. But yeah, I think I guess it's something that I skipped, but I did say that I came out as bi originally when I was in grade 10. And then right. throughout then until I graduated high school, like thankfully I had one really good friend of mine who was also queer. And so we talked about just, you know, being gay all the time. <laughs> and uh, I would like, I guess like have like a sliding scale where I would be like, okay, yeah, I'm like my attraction for like uh, guys and girls was like, you know, 50-50 at first and I came out as bi. And then it would slowly like, you know, 60 40, 70, 30. And then by the time I was in grade 12, I was like, mm, like it's like a 90, 99%. <laughs> like I like girls. <laughs> maybe 1% chance, you know, I would be like attracted to a guy. And then that friend of mine that I mentioned earlier, uh, they were like, are, are you sure you're not just, you know, like a lesbian? <laughs> and then I was like, I don't know, but like it was something that just stuck in my mind for about a weekend. And at the end of the weekend, after like two days of like pondering, I texted them and was like, I think I'm a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, since then, I've been like, yep, <laughs> I'm just a straight up lesbian. Uh, and I think, I think I always knew it was just, again, having gone to an all girls school, it was something that I thought people would debate me on. <laughs> and like have issue with if I did just say that um, I'm a lesbian but yeah I can say now for the last three years almost that that's like the label that I most identify with yeah I was gonna say that I remember you coming out to me in grade 10 I believe as bi and I just remember I, mm -hmm. I still remember watching you over the years kind of um, determine or become more confident with your sexuality and I'm just so proud to have seen you grow over the years in just embracing it and being out out loud and proud and mm -hmm. yeah so I'm just really proud of you Madison oh. I mean when I was talking about like my really great support system and stuff you were definitely one of like my biggest support systems in high school and yeah you were like just always there which was really great and I like appreciated your support so much all the time and I probably don't say it like enough how much I appreciate you being there for me just in general, about, like, anything. I could be, like, I stubbed my toe, Chelsea, and you'd be, like, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, literally anything I feel comfortable coming uh, to you for. <laughs> that's so sweet. So awesome. You're very welcome, and I can very much do the same <laughs> on my end. Okay, sorry. One last thing I just want to 
mention about my experience. I think because the school we went to was such a predominantly white school, um, I saw over the years, like we had a GSA and more and more people were like coming out and there were more people who identified as queer. Um, by the time definitely we were in grade 12, we had like even like a pride week at school. But as a like queer person of color in that predominantly white community, I definitely noticed not as if they were like shedding me out of the queer community that was within that school, but it was probably all internalized, I want to say, but I felt like I couldn't relate to the white girls who were coming out as queer. And it was just this weird like disparity that I don't know if it was all in my head or if it was like something that was that actually existed like I haven't reflected that much on it but it was definitely like being a person of color definitely colored my experience (laughs) that was really bad (laughs) as a queer person growing up like in high school so yeah that was just like one last thing I wanted to mention that makes sense yeah I'm wondering um I, I do remember girls in our high school coming out um, like in front of the school, mm-hmm. even at times. And I was wondering, did that inspire you to come out as well? Like, I know we come, we, we've had conversations on how, like, whether or not coming, coming out should be a thing. Um, or it's, mm-hmm. it's a thing because we live in a heteronormative society. So mm-hmm. yeah. Did other girls coming out help you come out to your, your friends? Um, I don't know if I remember anyone that like within our school, who came out like very publicly before I had come out because that was like grade 10. I would say more so in grade 11 and grade 12, there were a lot more girls coming out. But I don't remember like any anyone coming out really publicly before I did. There definitely were. I, mean, I just don't remember it. Mm. Um because I, I don't want to be like, yeah, I was like the first person to come out. And I started like the whole, you know, <laughs> like snowball effect. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think seeing people just using or identifying with different label labels and not just, there were a lot of girls that came out as bi, but there was also like one girl in our grade who I was friends with who came out as ace. And it was just like, mm-hmm. so many of the girls was like, when my my friend came out as ace so many of the girls at our high school were like that was the first time they'd even heard the term you know Mm -hmm. and I had been in like queer communities online for like a few years by then so I had kind of like educated myself um and was a lot more aware of you know different terminology and just like queer um culture and stuff like that so for me it was just like someone who I was friends with just like owning the label that they identify with. But I guess, yeah, it was inspiring to see. It was almost like we were educating <laughs> the straight people within our community to be like, this is a term that you should probably know. Yeah. I guess that was my experience. Like, or to answer your question, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right on. Okay. Well, Madison, thank you again for sharing your story. I also want to mention that, we attended the same predominantly white high school and that's actually how we met. But I do want to start my, I guess, 
setback story from elementary school because I felt like um, I felt like most of an outsider once I transitioned from a racially diverse elementary school to a predominantly white high school. So I pretty much grew up uh, or I attended a, an elementary school for eight years and I was surrounded by peers who thankfully looked like me. There were a lot of different races and I had lots of Filipino friends who were also um, first generation Filipino Canadian like Cal. So it was really great to have people who not only looked at who looked like me, but also shared the same, I guess, cultural practices and heritage. And like, I, I obviously knew what knew white people existed. Like I had white friends in my elementary school, but I, I would say that I experienced kind of culture shock going from a racially diverse elementary school to our high school when all of a sudden, like, I think half or more than half of the student body were white people. And not only that, but I struggled finding Filipino friends. And actually, in episode nine, I mentioned how Madison and I met. And it was, I literally approached her because I thought she was Filipino. And in hindsight, I think that might be problematic. But I think that just goes to show that we all have an innate desire to connect with people who might look like us or share the same practices. And I went from a community of people who uh, I could relate to, to a community that was like foreign to me in which I couldn't relate to anyone. I mean, I was still fortunate in the sense that I was able to quote unquote blend in with like the Asian kids, because I would say that I would, if I could categorize or quantify our student body in high school, I'd say it was like 50% white 40% East Asian and 10% other racial minorities. And um, I was able to quote unquote blend in with the East Asians in that regard. And I perpetually, I think I, I definitely always felt an inferiority complex when I found myself amidst um, white students. And honestly, I don't think I've reflected on my experience of being a person of color in a white community until like the past two weeks when we started prepping for this call. So this subject, I'm still trying to wrap my head around and it's still hard for me to talk, talk about, but I'm trying to like attribute where I attain that level of internalized racism because like, I just always felt inferior to my white peers and I wasn't, I wasn't proud of my skin color essentially. And if I could Um, attribute that to a single moment, I would think back to grade nine, um, the very first day of French class to be more specific. And keep in mind that my high school technically started in JK and I only came in grade nine. So I was only one of 25 new kids in in a class of like 125 students. So I, I wish I experienced a warm high school welcome, but I did not. And when I say that, in grade nine, I th- in grade nine French class, there, our, our teacher proposed to play an icebreaker game in which all the students would stand around in a circle. And it was called the name game in which one student would try to go around the circle guessing or listing everyone's first names. And we played that and that was fine. But the problem arose when a white student suggested we play the name game, but with our last names. And so since I was a new kid, when the student got to me, she obviously didn't know my last name because 
it was literally the first day of high school. And instead of asking me what my last name was, she tried to guess it based off of my looks. And she went through a series of Chinese names saying like Chelsea Lee, Chelsea Wang, Chelsea Wong, etc. And I was like, so I didn't know what to say. I was shocked. And I could tell it was definitely problematic and very wrong because the vibe in the room was in the room was just very quiet. Like even the like our French teacher didn't even know what to say. And like I tried to process this with my friend last week and I think we both agreed on like how on on why it was problematic and the fact that it was because she was I guess generalizing Asians. Like I like obviously there's nothing inherently wrong with a Chinese last name, but I have a, I would say I have a Filipino last name and I guess she was like generalizing all types of Asians into being the same type of Asian instead of recognizing me for my individuality and just respecting me as Chelsea, a person. Honestly, I didn't really do anything after that. And, but I think I, that stuck with me for the rest of my high school experience. Cause in hindsight, I, I remember ever since then being very hyper aware and insecure whenever I was one of the few Asians in the classroom. Like, for example, in grade nine vocal class, I think I was one of three Asian students. And then when I was on the volleyball team, I was one of two Asian teammates. And I, every time I interacted with people, I couldn't, I couldn't help but think that the first thing that uh, these white people will notice is my skin color. And that that was something to be mocked and that that was something to be ridiculed for just because... I literally <laughs> was made fun of um, in grade nine French class. So uh, I kind of subscribed to this internalized racism by, I guess, changing what I could because obviously I can't change my race, um, but I could change like like what I wore. I mean, we wore uniform, but like an example of copying what the white kids wore was like everyone literally had a Canada Goose jacket and I wanted to fit in. So then I also bought myself an expensive type of jacket in grade nine, which I kind of now regret. Another way that I guess changed my circumstances so I didn't have to stand out as much was by sitting with my Asian friends at lunch. And I would have to say that most of my friends were Asian. Um, and I think it comes back to the fact of like wanting to share the li- same lived experiences as another person. And I didn't really... We realized how much I suppressed my Asian Filipino identity until I left that system, until I graduated high school and moved to, once again, a racially diverse institution that is UBC and started embracing and being proud of my Filipino identity and skin color. So I think that's where I'm at with my story of learning that there was a reason as to why I was so uncomfortable about white people and learning to be proud of like how I look and my cultural heritage. So I don't even know if that made sense, but yeah, that's that. (laughs) When you were talking about French class, it reminded me of um, an experience I had in gym class in high school where Mm. there was one time, I mean, there was a few instances, but the one thing that sticks out in my mind is uh, we were playing, we would have like units in gym class. So we would like switch from different sports so when Mm -hmm. we had like a badminton unit there was one girl who like a like one white girl that I didn't know or like wasn't really friends with like we didn't talk to each other so we had to pick partners and then she like decided to choose me 
um, you know, mm. for no reason, I thought. <laughs> but obviously, because like the stereotypes that Asians are good at badminton, and I'm so bad at badminton, it's not even funny. <laughs> like, I have no hand eye coordination. So when I started like missing the birdies and like just like not being great at the sport because I just was, I didn't have the natural talent for it, she like got mad. Well, like, didn't, wasn't like angry, but was like called me out for it. Was like, like, why are, like, why are you so terrible? I guess. Yeah. Like that wasn't her exact wording, but it was like her oh. demeanor was like what? <laughs> um, oh my god! So yeah, that was one experience I had in gym class. But there are also like other times, for example, where we were like in the the swim unit, and I was on the swim team growing up as a kid, and I like from grade five until grade eleven, just seven years <laughs> on <laughs> the swim team, and so this was like grade ten, I think. Um, and the gym teacher, she kind of like stops me as we're like doing laps in the pool and was like, like, do you, do you race? Like, I didn't know that you were, you know, like good at this sport, but I guess I thought it was just a little weird because it's not like she was stopping anyone else who was, you know, in the pool. It was just because I didn't like the only sports we were expected to be good at as Asians was like ping pong or badminton. Right. Mm. And so anytime we excelled at something um, that in gym class that wasn't one of those sports it was it it came off as weird to like the gym teachers and the other students mm-hmm. I think that goes back to like Dang. you defying um, or challenging the Asian stereotype because I think I also try to challenge the Asian stereotype by being like yeah I can play a sport that's not badminton yeah I can play volleyball like all the other white girls but at the same time, like, I kind of hated being on the team just because I felt like the first thing that people saw in me wasn't my volleyball skills, but rather the fact that I was an Asian playing volleyball. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, first of all, uh, I didn't get to, to acknowledge both of your stories. Thank you for for sharing both of your stories. I'm, I'm literally just sitting here just, like, taking it in because I, I, I love hearing other people's stories so I can learn and, like, just understand where other people are coming from and, and the experiences. Um, but, Chelsea, when you were talking about French class and that one student who was guessing your last name, I my mind was, like, blown um, in a bad way. I was just like, what were you thinking? Uh, because you would never, like, that would never happen to someone who's white. Someone wouldn't be like, hey, I'm going to guess what your last name is, you know, <laughs> Smith. Like, and then a bunch of, like, white names. And it's like, like that would never happen. That would never happen, right? So you, yeah. it's just, like, so, so weird. Like, I was just like, what am I listening to? Because this is this doesn't sound real. Like, this is weird. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know what I was listening to at the time. Like, do I classify that as a microaggression? Because it felt, like, m- beyond a microaggression. I don't know. Yeah, and it's also like, what do you do? Like, do you just sit there and be like, um, <laughs> no? <laughs> you know? Like, are you supposed to call the person out? I don't... <laughs> like, and, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it definitely stuck with me, even till now, like, six years later. I can't forget about that moment. And there were obviously white students in the classroom, and they knew what was wrong, because one of my... One of those students eventually became one of my friends, and in grade 12, she, like, brought up that story to me, and it, I couldn't help but think, like, wow, like, other people and uh, other people besides the person who was, I guess, victimized or traumatized remember that story but, but didn't do anything, I guess? I mean, I guess our, our mission today is to help people, uh, help privileged people elevate marginalized voices. But 
that definitely wasn't a conversation in our high school. I think even to this day, they're still trying to implement that kind of education around elevating marginalized voices. So yeah, I don't know. I'm baffled too. That's so interesting. Um, What you just said uh, right there actually reminded me of um, something I guess that happened in the past year. So I grew up, my direct neighbor growing up with me, we... We went to different elementary schools, but we were we were direct neighbors, so we hung out like a lot throughout uh, elementary school. And then we went to the same high school, um, and we we were both really close. We were like quite good friends. Um, and then in the twelfth grade, she was she was my vice president, so mm-hmm. like we we worked very closely in like a lot of like our communities. Yeah, um, and we're still friends to this day. And she's an engineer, so. We, we were talking, especially with all the discourse around this past year around, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and you know, and all just like the movements around marginalized folks and like, you know, pro- progressive and intersectional mm-hmm. feminism. Um, we were talking about how we, we, when we were in high school, like those topics weren't talked about at all. And, you know, as two people who were supposedly, I guess, like leaders in, you know, in, in our school, we, you know, we thought like, why don't we send an email to the current principal? Sorry, I'm just going to backtrack her. The significance of her being a woman engineer was that when she went to uh, university, she went to U of T, she didn't realize that there was going to be so much sexism that she was going to be dealing with because no one talked about that or that like mm-hmm. just oppression wasn't talked about at all throughout high school for us. So we actually emailed the current principal and we explained this was our experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, being parts of these groups, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately, like the principal wasn't really she didn't really acknowledge it like she, she was just like okay thank you for this information and like both of us were like dang it like ah, like, yeah. <laughs> like we hope we made a difference but I don't think we did right um right yeah especially since like in, in the beginning it was never your responsibility to um invoke that change because it is really tiring for right for us to like educate those who should educate themselves yeah yeah but um I don't know. I just, I, I think about education a lot. And like, if we, if, you know, the system was different, I, you know, it, it's, it'd be very difficult to, you know, as we we have spoken about like systemic anything, like the system is very hard to like change unless you like literally abolished it and like you mm-hmm. d- destroyed it from the, from the root and then restarted it. Right. But like, yeah, I don't know. I think about education a lot and how, how different the world could be with proper education about different communities and diversity. I just think about that all the time, but I don't want to go into t- mm-hmm. tangent, so I'm going to stop here, but yeah. All right, so now that we've gone through like our individual experiences, I think the next the next topic or like subtopic that we wanted to bring up was like what would we tell our younger selves? I guess it was like the the lessons learned from our setbacks, but I'm kind of framing it in my own mind as like if you could go back and tell your younger self a few pieces of advice, what would you tell them? Um, I actually like just thought about this today. I think there's like so many things because I think about telling my younger self stuff a lot, um, especially because I have a younger sister. But um, one that I was thinking about today was this idea of you can always change and you can always recreate yourself and your past doesn't define where you're going. Other than other things, sometimes I just think about like, dang, like when we think about setbacks, right? And something happening and the almost like all the negative feelings that come after it 
again, they're they're hundred percent valid, and I think it's really important to be able to acknowledge them and to work through them and find community where you're able to um, connect with people who have also experienced that or can understand and empathize. Um, but on top of that, I think it's never too late to say I, I want to, you know, do something different despite things that I have experienced in the past. And I think like that's something that I, I would tell myself because I think there were a lot of moments there where growing up where I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to come back from this. Or I don't know how I can be happy or content or feel healthy because this thing has happened in my life. Again, like that's not supposed to diminish people's experiences or even like my own experience growing up. But I just, I guess it's almost like a, like a, like a hopeful note on that. Um, outside of that though, like I was just thinking about uh, if there was other things I needed to tell myself, like as a kid, the world is so much more diverse than you know it. And even though right now you are surrounded by people who might not like you for who you are as a person, there are people out in the world who will fully accept you and fully love you. And you will find family and community and love and friendship from those people, um, even though you might not be, not be experiencing it right now. I think it's really important that you take care of yourself first before you take care of other people. I think like growing up as a marginalized person, like it taught me that I have to be a people pleaser and I need to think about other people first before anything else. Um, and like, I need to morph myself into this person that people will accept and love and, you know, not even thinking about how that can, what that means for me, like not being true to myself is me rejecting myself. And so that is, you know, in a sense, like hurting myself. So finding ways to, I don't know, I guess like think a little bit more critically or just like think about like, no, like, is this actually something that I want? Is this who I am? Do I feel like I'm respecting who I am or am I just, you know, putting other people first before I'm putting myself out? And then I guess last note here is your feelings and mental health are so valid and they matter. And um, I think there were moments in time where I was trying to get help, whether it was like a high school counselor or like a friend that maybe I thought I could, uh, <laughs> I thought I could trust. I'm, I'm laughing here because I did have an experience where I tried to like talk to a high school counselor, but she like really didn't, she just missed the mark completely. And she was like, she, I don't know. She, I think it, it was like a lot of like false positivity that she was telling me. And she's like, no, you're okay. You're fine. And I'm like, am I? Like my mental health feels very bad right now. Um, but uh, like, it, like she just, it felt like I, I, was, I, I wasn't actually talking to a counselor. It was weird. It was just a very odd situation. But point being, like you're allowed to feel awful. It, it's not great to feel awful, obviously, but you're allowed to say, I would love support right now. I would love to, you know, see a professional if like therapy is something that is interesting to me. Um, I'm allowed to put those things to like a very, very high priority in my life. Um, and on, on that note, therapy is, is great. Uh, find community of like, find community online, find community, you know, hopefully when we're out of the pandemic, you know, in just like spaces that, have that diversity um, reflect what you believe and like the values that you believe and who you want to be. I think like, you know, surrounding yourself with people who you really admire because you're like, wow, I want to be more assertive, for example, like surround yourself around those sorts of people, surround yourself around people of color, surround yourself, you know, 
but yeah, those are those are things I, I would tell myself. And yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Chelsea and I were uh, <laughs> laughing or like giggling when you were talking about the counseling <laughs> because I had a, we both had like not so great counseling experiences. Oh. Um, mine was also in high school with like a guidance counselor in grade or like sometime in high school. And I won't go into too much detail, but basically I had, there was a point during high school where I had like a meltdown uh, literally had like a mental breakdown, um, showed up to school at like five or 6am, like texted my best friend that I was literally just crying. Like it wasn't a closet, but it was like a, like a practice room near the band room. Um, and literally stayed there until somebody found me, <laughs> uh, and brought me to like the guidance office. And then after that experience, my guidance counselor was like, she seemed she seemed like she really wanted to help she just didn't know how so she was like okay let's set up like weekly appointments where you can come and talk to me but I was a very and like still am a very guarded person so I don't just open up to anyone um and I was just not talking during our session so eventually my guidance counselor was like clearly you don't want to like this isn't working and then she like suggest like hinted at like maybe going to see like counseling somewhere else but like I was like 14 or 50 and I was like I don't want to deal with that and so my counselor kind of just like gave up. She was like, okay, well, this isn't working, but like, I guess if you do want to talk to me, I'm here. Um, but otherwise you can like go now. <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, okay. I wasn't given like any resources, any like external help. Like, you know, she was just like, I tried. <laughs> it isn't working. So I guess like you're on your own now. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, yeah. And I think Madison, I think we had the same guidance counselor i think so there was only so there was a very few guidance counselors in, okay well in our high school. yeah i also had an unfortunate experience of counseling and guidance counseling in grade nine um i was really sh- I was struggling to be the new kid and i don't know why but i opened up to her on my feelings of inadequacy or uh, discomfort around white people and she never addressed it she just like glossed over it and like you said, gave me false hope or positivity that everything was going to sort itself out. And I do wonder if, um, had she been a person of a col- of color, if she would have, I don't know, referred me to a BIPOC therapist perhaps. But yeah, I guess there's a gap in the guidance counseling system or program because I guess they can- they're supposed to counsel us in post-secondary options um, and not necessar- necessarily mental health, but maybe that has to change. Yeah. I totally, I totally agree. It, it definitely needs to change around that. All right. I guess I'm going next in like <laughs> the lessons that I've learned. Um, a lot of what Cal said is actually very similar to what I was thinking. So um, I don't want to be too repetitive, but one of the biggest things I have taken away is that especially when you're in high school or um, like attending an institution that is not like that is fairly small, you're world is not representative of what the world is actually like and like I talked a lot about being stuck in my own head um, but it also kind of felt like I was in my head a lot within the community I was in so I think everyone kind of goes through this when they're a teenager but you don't realize how like limited your scope is you know there's so the world is so huge and there's just so many people out there and where you are right now is not what like reality actually is once you graduate or um, 
like outside of the community that you're in at the time. Um, so that's the biggest thing. And I guess knowing that there is a community out there where, you know, everyone is loved and accepted and celebrated for their differences and who they are. And it might take some time to find them or to find people who fully support you. But I don't want to like dive into like toxic positivity that we like we were just talking about. But <laughs> yeah, there are people out there that will support you and it might just take some time to find those people. So that's kind of like one thing altogether that I've learned. The other thing is that your identity and the choices you make should not be defined by how you are perceived by other people. So for me, it was how I was, how I wanted to be perceived by white or straight people or straight white people <laughs> um, growing up. And it's okay to fit the stereotype, but it's also okay to not fit the stereotype. Basically, don't give a fuck about stereotypes. <laughs> um, and just make choices for you. Like, don't worry about how other people perceive you to be. Kind of just, you know, do you and do what makes you comfortable. Those are my kind of two, like, overarching lessons that I would take away from, mm -hmm. from high school. Going back to your first takeaway or lesson, I definitely think it's really hard to identify when we're stuck in, like, an echo chamber or filtered bubble not until we actually leave that, you know, high school bubble or whatever community we had been in for so long. So it's good that we're acknowledging that if we're in an, a difficult scenario or an unfortunate scenario, it's great to know that there is hope that things are temporary and that your people are waiting for you out there sometime. Okay, Chelsea, passing the mic to you. <laughs> yeah, so I, I want to go back to one of Cal's takeaways and echo um, that yes, it is okay to feel bad. And, um, and the specific feeling that I want to refer to is feeling of feelings of discomfort and shame. Particularly, I wish I could tell grade nine Chelsea that A, it's okay to talk about race and B, it's okay to explore why you felt uncomfortable around white people. Um, specifically, like I, like for the longest time I felt like ashamed for saying that I felt uncomfortable around white people. Um, but going back to another episode, I think episode 10, in which I spoke to a psychotherapist about feelings, like these emotions are just emotions or feelings are just quote unquote taps on the shoulder in which they are telling you that something is up and you should probably do something about it. So for me, I felt like discomfort and like feelings of inferiority for a reason. And I, think the only way to heal and move forward from them is to process them and acknowledge where they came from. So for me, I might have felt internalized racism or an inferiority complex because of that incident in for in the first day on the first day of grade nine French class. Or maybe now that I think about it, it was rooted in um, my Filipino culture because yes, there is anti-black anti-blackness um, that is embedded in Filipino culture. So, yeah, I, I wish I could tell grade nine Chelsea that it's okay to explore these sentiments and that it's okay to talk about race. And in doing so, it might even be more ideal to talk to a therapist, as Cal mentioned, but also a BIPOC therapist, because I think in grade nine, like I said, I did reach out for help. I did 
tell someone about how I was feeling, but because they weren't a person of color themselves, um, they couldn't relate to me and they didn't know how to help me. So yeah, I w- if I could go back, I would definitely uh, try to find a BIPOC therapist. And I know we're going to mention resources at the end of this episode, but yeah, just talking to someone and it doesn't have to be a therapist, of course, because, you know, uh, therapy is expensive. It's not the most accessible, but just talking to someone like I didn't even have conversations about race until like maybe grade 12 when my my good friend Sarah made this amazing speech in front of the whole student body on her Asian identity in our predominantly white high school. So just finding people who could relate to ourselves, um, whether that be a mental health professional or our friends is the way to go. So yes, resource time? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Shall we uh, maintain the same order? Sure. Yeah, I can go. I, I can start it. Start us off. Um, so I do want to say that resources for me, like uh, growing up, like weren't a thing. I think I, I like I was very in my own bubble. Um, so I can't say that I have directly used this resource, um, but I do have several friends who have used it, and I, you know, I see the work that they're doing. I'm shouting out the five one nine. So it's www.the519.org. And they are a their community in Toronto, uh, where they uh, I believe that they host different events. They also just like support people in the LGBTQ plus community by giving out resources for I believe mental health and also community events. So if like someone is like hosting something for Pride, for example, they have like different spaces and like office spaces, and they help like create um, more just like community again <laughs> community but also just like again just uplifting the lgbtq plus community i also know that they have education for folks who want to support um their like loved ones within the lgbtq plus community um and outside of the pandemic they do run different events that um help build build community and like networking job and like career development etc for folks who are in need of that well cool. i haven't heard of them that's a new one for me Okay, I guess I'll <laughs> talk about my chosen resources. So um, the first resource I'm going to talk about is called Dear Asian Youth. I don't know if either of you have heard of them. They have like a huge Instagram account. Um, and I, both of the resources I'm going to talk about, I both heard of through or like started following on Instagram. And that's how I know them. But they are both like way bigger than just their accounts. Like they're both um, huge like communities and organizations. So Dear Asian Youth is a nonprofit organization that empowers Asian youth um, into intersectional activism. So I mostly just follow their account and uh, their posts are so great because they're educational, but they're also just so inclusive of all Asian identities. So I know that a lot of like... um, you know, Asian run activism accounts, a lot of them just focus on like East Asian identities. And that's about it. And I love Dear Asian Youth so much because they talk about so many different types of Asian, like Southeast Asians, um, like North Asians, like so and I just I've learned so much about Asian culture, even as an Asian myself. Um, So yeah, I just really love them because they're so inclusive. The other um, resource I'm going to shout out is called the Queer Asian Social Club. And as, like, a queer person of color, I found it really difficult growing up to find queer people who weren't white. (laughs) So this account is a 
I think they done like they call themselves a community organization. I don't know if they're a nonprofit, but they're um, a collective that empowers community through um, like queer visibility. And both of these organizations, I think they do like events and they both have like websites where they like feature people and do a conferences and all of that. So yeah, both great organizations and they both have podcasts, I think actually. Basically both have helped me embrace being Asian, but also being queer. And I didn't think that there was a community out there that existed like that until maybe a year ago. That's great. I've, I've also never heard of them. But I'm definitely gonna check them out because they look they look really great. I think I follow I, I follow the first one, but I'm definitely gonna go check out the second one. Two resources that I would recommend. Speaking about finding a BIPOC therapist, um, I would recommend uh, searching a therapist on this website called HealingInColor.com, and of course I'll we'll link all of these resources in the episode description. But pretty much, it's a directory of therapists in Canada who are not only colored people themselves, but they've also agreed to a certain subset of values. So they're pro-LGBTQ, pro-Black, pro-sex workers, and anti-colonialist, which is great. And I wish I had I had known about this before I started my own therapy journey, because I know how difficult it can be to find a person who looks like me, to be honest. And I know how much of a journey it can be to start therapy. So it's really great that this directory gives you a page of people who look like you. And the second resource that I would recommend, which has helped me embrace my Filipino identity, is this Instagram account called One Down Media. And I believe the handle lacks an O in down, so it's One DWN Media. Once again, I'll link it down below. And it has not only helped me embrace my Filipino culture, which is something I'm trying to, I guess, quote unquote, make up for since I didn't really do much of it in high school, which is when I suppressed it. But it has also helped me understand stand how I may have internalized racism through this culture. So it's really a really great resource to unlearn all of this, I guess, self-hatred. More importantly, my favorite part of the episode is to shout out Cal's work. Growing up, uh, my parents would pinch my nose to try to like, get my Hello. nose look, to look um, more white, etc. Yeah, my, I have a YouTube channel that I... I'm, I'm moving around the niche, but point being, I post there, uh, it is youtube.com slash calcampos you can just search my name that's c-a-l-c-a-m-p-o-s i also have an instagram um my main i guess like media instagram is calcampos media for the work that i'm doing there um but i am i'm starting i'm i'm looking to restart not restart but revamp um a web series that I started a, a couple of years ago called Trans Talks, where I talk about trans and LGBTQ plus related uh, topics. Um, and it's, it's been on like hiatus for the past probably like year or so, but I'm looking to revamp it and bring it back up. So keep your eyes out for that. Amazing. And the short film we're working on, which I don't know. And the, I don't know yes. when that's going to happen. We pushed off shooting for <laughs> like months now because of um, the pandemic, but it will happen eventually. <laughs> Yes, yes. Keep your eyes out for that too. I, I just wanted to say um, thank you all of you for having uh, me here today because um, I, I did say this before, but um, similar to the short film that Maddie and I are, are working on, I don't have like a lot of communities where I'm able to hang out with uh, like people of color or like LGBTQ plus folks and just like being able to like talk about like my experience as a BIPOC person with you two today um, is like really refreshing. And also just like the fact that we're like, we're, we're able to like empathize and like 
understand where each other are, are coming from. I think that's um, a really big part of also like healing and just like, you know, moving forward in, in our own journeys. So thank you so much for having me on today because it was insightful for myself as as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Cal. I just love you so much. You're so like, obviously, like, I love talking about like issues surrounding like race and like queer issues and stuff like that. But also just like you as a person, you're so supportive and just open minded. And you're never, you never shy away from talking about anything. And it's just you kind of Remind me of like a golden retriever puppy. <laughs> like you, you, you counter everything with such like positivity in a non-toxic way. <laughs> like oh, it's just, um, yeah, talking to you has been really refreshing. I really love this. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I'm so like, I, um, testosterone doesn't really let me like cry, but like internally I feel like I'm like tearing up of like happiness. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so no, literally I'm so thankful for having you on our podcast today. Like, uh, like throughout this recording I thought I was listening to someone else's podcast the whole time and I was just mind blown every time you spoke and <laughs> yeah I'm just in so much awe and I'm so grateful that we went through with this episode because I think um, it has helped me I mean obviously I'm still healing from whatever happened in high school but I think this is the first step to acknowledging and unlearning all of that trauma I guess I experienced and I'm happy that so happy that we could do it together in a safe space I totally agree no this is this has been wonderful and it's so great to, to hear both of your experiences around this and it makes me me feel less alone and so thank you for like really from the bottom of my heart and we're back Congrats on finishing your first episode as a host, Madison, but you're not done yet. Time for takeaways? Let's do it. Number one, it's important to recognize that the experience of one marginalized person is different from the next marginalized person, especially when one carries intersecting identities. Number two, the onus isn't on marginalized individuals to educate those who do not share the same marginalized identity. Instead, use the wealth of knowledge available online to educate yourself. Number three, you're allowed to feel awful and deserve to alleviate these feelings. Talk about them with another person who gets you, whether that's a therapist or a friend who has similar lived experiences. Number four, you might not have your found family right now, but they're out there. Number five, you are not defined by how you are perceived by anyone other than yourself. So make decisions that put yourself first. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Setback Stories. We're always looking for new topics and guests to bring on the show, and we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to DM us on Instagram at setbackstories or email us at setbackstories at gmail.com. Finally, we're seeking ways to grow and improve our podcasting game. If you can, please leave us a review. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so that you will never miss a bi-weekly episode from yours truly. I'd also like to give credits to my team, co-producer and co-writer Madison Wong, and technical producer and editor Kendra Tam. There's so much work that happens behind the scenes, and I can't thank you two enough. Till next time! I remember... I... Oh, you go, you go. You started. You go, you go. No, 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 you. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm gonna go, just, just, just so we don't throw it back and forth with each other. Um, I...